0: Today on Pilgrim Radio's His People, Lisa Anderson, on why the younger generation is often seeing marriage as unnecessary.
1: So when it comes to that, we need to be given a new vision for there is a reason for marriage, there's a reason for raising the next generation, there's a reason for this, and, and obviously we see it throughout scripture. So giving that healthier vision is something we should all be about.
0: Lisa Anderson, next. It may surprise you to learn that two out of five young adults find marriage unnecessary, resulting in both young men and young women getting married much later. To discuss reasons behind this trend and some of the consequences of it, we contacted Lisa Anderson, Director of Young Adults for Focus on the Family and manager of their Boundless Ministry. Lisa, Focus recently issued a release saying that two out of five or 40% Forty percent of young adults find marriage superfluous or unnecessary. Do you know what the source of that information is, and what are some of the reasons behind it?
1: Sure. Yeah, there have been a couple studies that have been done on this. Actually, some some um, marriage institutes have put this out. Obviously, Pew Research has backed some of this up. Really coming from uh, and, and weirdly, you know, I'm here in Colorado. Uh, they they did one specifically to Denver that I think the statistics were even worse than that. So. Mm. I don't know that that's saying much for us here in in the West, but um, you know, and and elsewhere. But it it really is. It, there are a number of things, Bill, around this that really some of them are maybe assumptive. Some of them are like, hey, you know, I mean, because we knew the Boomers basically had this whole you know, run of like marriage is just a piece of paper. Does it really matter? Free love, all of that. So it's not like it's unheard yeah. of prior in prior generations, but this generation's taking a little different spin on it in that some of it is just like, what is the purpose of marriage? Like I haven't really been given a great script for it. So what am I doing? And then the second thing is the idea of like, is marriage even attainable for me? Both relationally, you know, a lot of younger adults want to be married, but they just don't think they can do it successfully because they saw their parents crash and burn in this area. Boomers being the largest Divorce generation in history. Wow. And then some of it is just an argument, Bill, straight up about finances. Like they think that they need to have a certain number of ducks in a row before they can commit to marriage and make it work. And this is a generation that is saddled with incredible student loan debt. They are underemployed. They are priced out of housing markets. And so they're just like, I'm going to have to keep it, you know, keep myself footloose and fancy free for a while because I don't think I can support a family at this point. So a lot of hard statistics that are backing this up.
0: Well, I'm wondering if you could comment on on that financial aspect. I mean, just in recent uh times, recent months, recent years, inflation and housing costs and and all of that and and, a, and a, sort of the traditional wisdom as well, before you get married, you need to have your your career in order and uh, some of these, like you said, the ducks in a row. W- w- what about that? I mean, that has a has a ring of uh, practicality to it.
1: It does. And and again, you know, boomer parents and grandparents and even some of the older exers are giving or have given this script of if you just work hard enough, you can make it happen. And, And this concept, Bill, of the American dream that was available to boomers and, you know, beyond is really not showing up for our younger generations at this point. So we're seeing a lot of millennials, especially who are burned out. They're doing, uh, they're availing themselves of what we call the gig economy. So maybe they do have a full time job, but in order to make ends meet, or in fact, to even do something that's maybe a more fulfilling job, they're doing something on the side. So maybe they're doing photography, or they are doing graphic design, or they're, you know, they're, they're kind of scrappy and scrambling to make things work. And so as a result, um, it, it really is, there's a lot of discouragement among younger adults of like, my parents are boasting about retirement and these 401ks and whatever, and obviously there's been challenges in the economy all around, but really there's a lot that younger adults don't even understand because they're just not having the opportunities that others do. Well, I'm wondering if
0: you could talk a bit about, and this of course is something you've addressed a lot, I'm sure, uh... as director of young adults at focus but the whole issue of cohabitation or living together and how it's sort of changed the whole understanding uh... the whole view of marriage among uh... well as you say it's not just the younger generation but particularly the younger generation is the one we're focusing on
1: Yeah. And to that point of cohabitation, I do want to make the the point and the clarification that sadly numbers in the church are not much different from that in the culture at large. Mm. And so this is where we really have an opportunity as believers, as older mentors within the church to give a better script for young adults who want to do this right. And so cohabitation, basically is kind of twofold. One argument for it is the straight up practical argument that I've just been giving. Like Lisa, it's just, it's easier to cohabit and share a rent or, you know, make things easier, pay bills, um, you know, all of that, the practicality of it. The other argument, Bill, is just this idea of, well, it gives me the opportunity to practice being married without having to really make the commitment. And we see, even if you take faith out of the equation entirely, sociologically, cohabitation has no gains for it on any end of this spectrum. And so we see, um, again, if you look at the statistics, we see that couples that cohabit prior to marriage, they have higher rates of domestic abuse within the relationship, Mm -hmm. quite frankly. Higher rates of, sorry guys, but you do not contribute to household chores nearly as much in cohabiting relationships. We have the proverbial getting the milk for free kind of situation, which sadly so many women, and when I talk to women, I try to reverse this script for them. They think that going into a cohabiting relationship is going to bring about commitment. They think if I just give up this much, if I just say, okay, this is gonna take us one step closer, I might get a ring on my finger and the exact opposite is the case And it. The sad thing is, and the, the thing that's so overlooked, I think, when couples live together is this idea that it keeps people in bad relationships longer. So, because, you know, you think about it, If a couple's cohabiting, they they share a rent or possibly even a mortgage. At some point, maybe they're going to share a dog. You know, they may even end up sharing a child. Well, now it's just too much work and too many details to break that thing off, uh, to extricate yourself from that kind of relationship. And so women especially end up in go nowhere relationships Mm -hmm. because of being willing to cohabit. And so and then. The, the the cap on all of this, the unfortunate cap, is that couples who maybe eventually do marry, even after cohabiting, have much higher divorce rates on the back end. And so just all around, it is not showing to be a successful proposition for young couples today to give that up. And so we're trying to turn the tide at Boundless and say there's a better way of doing this and, and allow young adults to be hopeful in the process.
0: Well, my guest on His People Today is Lisa Anderson. She's director of Young Adults at Focus on the Family. And- we're talking about the trend of seeing marriage as unnecessary among young adults, a statistic that we discussed earlier, about 40% are, are saying that. And uh, Lisa, you, you mentioned something which might have raised some eyebrows for people. You said the, the numbers of, of young people cohabiting or living together is essentially the same, whether professing Christian or not. Any recommendations for, for churches in dealing with this? Well, well it's got to be a tricky issue. They must know that that's mm-hmm. the case.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. And I would say numbers in the church are better, but not nearly as good as they need to be. The The actual, the rates are way too similar to what's going on in the culture at large. And I think what the churches can do differently, what the church can do differently, quite frankly, is give a more hopeful script for marriage and help young adults get to marriage and to, to show that it is possible. You know, so we see if we look back, you know, to gra- our grandparents and beyond that greatest generation, the couples that grew up uh, in wartime and whatnot, they were willing to go ahead and get married and make it happen and start with nothing and kind of have this like, we're going to grow together in our marriage and and really, you know, eke it out and kind of make it work. And then we kind of had the boomers come in and become much more so of a materialistic generation very success oriented. I mean, they're not called the me generation for nothing. So uh, sorry, boomers. But um, it, it really became this idea of more a capstone than kind of a cornerstone to one's life trajectory. And so young adults have kind of inherited that. And so we need couples. I mean, I've heard couples in the church, Bill, say, oh, yeah, you know, enjoy your single years, because when you get married, it's just kind of all over. Well, what kind of hopeful message is that? That's not going to get young adults uh, wanting to marry within, even within a Christ-centered environment. And so we've got to have older couples who are willing to say, we want to get you through this. We want to help you out. We want to give a vision for marriage that makes it attainable and makes it something to work for and to fight for. And so I think that's a really hopeful message and just God's design for marriage and to to take young couples under uh, your wing and be willing to mentor them into a vision for everything from healthy, godly sexuality, to relationships to doing conflict and communication well all of those things have to be learned and so we've got to be willing to really partner with younger adults in the church to give that vision
0: maybe you can uh, fill these numbers in uh, for me lisa but uh, over the last what decade or two the the average age of first marriages has has increased dramatically right among men and women
1: Very much so, yes. In fact, I always go back to, you think when Focus on the Family was started in 1977, the average marrying age was about 21 for women and 23 for men. Mm. That is now 28 for women and 30 for men. So we have lost almost a decade of time for young adults who are remaining single and delaying marriage for a lot of those reasons that we talked about before. It might be fear. It might be finances, uh, just a lot of reasons of wondering, okay, well, there's a lot available to me as a single person. What really is my motivation for marriage? And so as we see those numbers climb, and the one thing I want to communicate, Bill, is it doesn't mean that single is a second-class citizenship. I mean, if it is... I'm single, so what am I even talking for? So, you know, God has great things for single people, and some people are called the singleness, or it may be a short season of singleness, it may be longer. So it's not, I don't think singleness is a problem to be solved. What needs to be solved is when we have a a young adult in the church or young adults who are staying single because of selfishness, because they want to save a lot of money, because they want to travel the world, because they want all the latest iPhone or whatever, and it's all about me. But quite frankly, there are a lot of selfish married people too, Bill, so we can just (laughs) level the playing field. So when it comes to that, we need to be given a new vision for there is a reason for marriage, there's a reason for raising the next generation, there's a reason for this, and and obviously we see it throughout Scripture. So giving that healthier vision is something we should all be about.
0: In a way, I hate to bring this up, but you certainly discuss it uh, on your Boundless podcast, that issue of (laughs) pornography— That's kind of an under-the-radar kind of an issue, but uh, to what extent is that causing uh, a delay in marriage or in, in even being interested in it?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's it's actually an a, a sin a epidemic in our culture, Bill, quite frankly. In fact, it's one of the top sins that not only the average person calls in to focus on the family for help and for counseling, but even pastors are calling in at alarming rates um, because of pornography and addictive behaviors around sexual sin. And so it is just, I mean, obviously, the digital space has ramped this up incredibly with the access to pornography. It is a red Regular topic that we have to talk about on our show because there are very few young adult men at this point who have not had some kind of um, association with exposure to or even addiction to pornography, and so um, and and the the addictive nature of it. I think so many people think of it as a behavior or a habit that needs to be broken. There is actually a physiological change that goes on in the brain with pornography addiction. And so we've got to be willing to admit that and take real steps, healing steps um, within the church and elsewhere to address pornography and other sexual sins because they are rampant. Hey, what about the impact?
0: And we're looking at some of the reasons for this this trend of seeing marriage unnecessary by young adults. And of course, there's a, a lot of helpful ways to uh, approach this, but that, that of divorce. You mentioned, well, the boomers, for one thing, have the highest divorce rate. And uh, the, I mean, divorce the divorce rates in general are extremely high. So are there are a lot of children of divorce. Is that making them kind of skittish?
1: It does, actually. And what's really shocking for a lot of older folks to hear is that younger adults actually have a very good, healthy vision of marriage in general, they want to be married for the most part. They see it as a good thing. I mean, who hasn't watched every 1980s or 90s rom-com and had this very hallmark vision of what it could be, you know, which, hello, reality check. But at the same time, um, they are also saying like, okay, well, I want to do it well. You know, that we're talking again about generations of, of young adults who were those trophy kids of boomers, high expectations. They're the most educated generation in history and so they want to succeed at it and if they don't think they can succeed they're afraid to try which is why again we're seeing a lot of these substitutes come into place and so i think it's uh i think it's really necessary for for us within the church to say like, hey, this, this can be done and to give them the tools for making it uh, possible. And then also just to say, you know, to to address and call out all the counterfeits. You know, we, we talked about pornography as one of them. Also just, you know, go nowhere relationships, the hookup culture, uh, dating and endless cycles. I mean, it's just that this idea among young adults that they need to have they would much more prioritize a fulfilling life and finding purpose. Uh, This is important in their jobs. It's important in their relationships. They would prioritize that over money any day. And so, again, showing them how marriage can lead to an extremely fulfilling life and a sense of purpose is another great script for us to walk out. And, of course, uh,
0: people typically will berate uh, the media and movies and TV shows and all of that. But I'm wondering, just realistically, What about the views of romance and relationships depicted there and the the views uh, or how marriages are typically depicted?
1: Well, you think, you know, I reference the average rom-com, Bill. You think that, you know, in an hour and a half, everyone's problems are solved and a great marriage is formed. That's a little bit unrealistic. And so I think there is this idea. uh, It was born out of, you know, movies like Jerry Maguire back in the day, this idea that we're all looking for someone to complete us which in a sense is true. There's this longing in our hearts. But as I tell my audience, yeah, we do need someone to complete us. But the only person who can complete us is Jesus Christ. And so uh, we bring a whole self and a redeemed self into a marriage and then have a much greater chance of success at it. And so I uh, I, I think there's this idea that you know, this should be this should be easy. This should be something like, you know, I mean, the average person, forget about just young adults thinks, you know, we're pretty amazing. It's just everyone else that has problems. And so <laughs> I think uh, we're we're working very hard at boundless to grow up healthy individuals who understand the gospel, who can apply it on a Tuesday, who know what it looks like to repent and forgive constantly. Uh, that's something that we have lost in our culture, even in the church, this idea of blame-shifting and, and shaming and uh, you know defensiveness, narcissism uh, is running rampant, and so we've got to get back to this idea of we are all sinners um, who are at the mercy of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and thank goodness He can give us a record of righteousness, mm-hmm. and through that, we can carry that into relationships and love others in the process.
0: Well, Lisa, as you said, and we've talked about this before that uh, marriage certainly is not for everybody there obviously are many examples including jesus himself in the scriptures of of single people that lived very fulfilled and happy lives and so it's not that but you did write a book a number of years ago called the dating manifesto and uh, obviously you're helping people that may be moving in that direction toward marriage can you talk about at least in general what uh, what you were saying in that book i think you wrote it in around 2015 or so
1: And I always say, you know, because people are like, hey, you wrote the dating manifesto, but you're still single. And I say, yeah, I've got to be one of the only people who's written a book for whom the advice didn't work for her personally. So but I'm not it's okay. I'm not bitter, Bill. (laughs) No, I think what I what I call that book is everything I wish I would have been told about dating in my 20s. I just got crickets in the church. Where I got a loud message was from the culture about, like, you know, girl, you just do you. You become successful, you build your career, you don't wait on a man for anything. And then maybe on your terms in the future, you can tack on some marriage. And so I had to completely rewrite that script biblically and understand that marriage is a good thing. It is for most people. And if we are called to marriage, we have to approach it with intentionality. So, so many younger adults, and, you know, even this is where I look back, you know, I remember having this conversation with my mom and she was like, Lisa, this should be a lot easier. Like, what's your problem? Why can't you find a guy? And I was like, because mom, when you were dating, you just like went out to a movie. I mean, my mom like met my dad in college, stalked him at a few basketball games, went to a senior banquet and got married. It was easy for her because everyone was like, let's just get married. But now there's like, you know all kinds of toxicity. You've got to do background checks on people. There's brokenness, baggage people are bringing into relationships. It, it is a lot harder for younger adults today. And so yeah. I always say the the dating manifesto for me the front end of it is a kick in the pants of like don't sit around in a Starbucks waiting to lock eyes with someone and have a fairy tale romance. Uh, you need to get a good team around you that loves you that's going to help you look for people who are godly, who might be good matches and help you in that process. Um, and so you know you you have the you have the power to make that happen. And then the second half of the book I like to say Bill, is my arm around their shoulder. So for the person who says, okay, but I've tried everything, Lisa and I'm still single, has God forgotten me? what does it look like to be single in today's world? What does it look like? What? How can I serve God as a single person? How do I trust God? How do I trust the sovereignty of God? And so the book kind of goes into that territory as well, to be both hopeful and practical.
0: One issue you address, and there's so many, uh, we don't have time for all of them, but is that, that idea of waiting for the one, maybe the one that God has chosen for you, uh, the, the, the specific one, and you made a list of qualities, and you, you put the person up against that list, and if they match the list, you found the one, and if not, they're <laughs> not it. I mean, that's pretty common, isn't it?
1: <laughs> well, that is exactly what my junior high youth group leader told me to do, and we'll see how good that worked for me. Yeah, I mean, I think there is definitely this idea, and I say this in the book, of there are very definite qualities you need in a future spouse, especially as a believer in Jesus Christ. But the list is small, Bill. It's not a hundred things that include their preference in music and their hair color and all this kind of stuff. But they are values and character, um, this idea of someone who's in a position to marry, you know, are they a mature adult? Are they willing to take ownership of their own decisions? Are they humble? Are they teachable? And then from there you can kind of move into, okay let me get to know this person, not just as a caricature or a profile of a person, but as a real person who's made in the image of God, who loves God, who possibly I could grow into a relationship with and into life. And And so I think that cutting out this idea of the one. I mean, if we're if we're looking around for the one, we're gonna be extremely discouraged because it's either gonna drive us into a paralysis of not choosing anyone because we're afraid we're not choosing the one or we pick someone and then the minute we hit a bump in the road, we're like questioning our choice. We're like, oh my goodness, did I choose the wrong one? Why is this hard? What did I do wrong? And that's why we're seeing people in fractured relationships and in divorce. And so I think this idea of like, you put your head on straight, you pray, you trust God, you get to know someone, you make that choice and that commitment, knowing going to be a life of self-sacrifice there. There's going to be uh, joy. There's going to be friendship, companionship. You walk it out together. And then you trust God with the rest of the details. And once you've done that and put those blinders on and said, okay, I'm cutting out the clutter. I don't need to be looking around for the next best thing. Then you've found your one and you commit to loving that person the rest of your life. You, you raise
0: uh, the issue of, I, I think the word is friend, relationship, something like that stuck in a friend, relationship. I think it's also been referred do is the, the the friendship zone or something like that, where people they dread that. And, and yet, at the same time, so often you're encouraged to have uh, friends um, uh, of, of both uh, sexes. And so, uh, when do you sense that you're, uh, is it when two people have different expectations for the relationship?
1: Yeah. So, the difference between a friendship and a friend relationship is in a friend relationship, it often starts out as a friendship. But there's nothing defined there as far as like, we're both on the same page. We're just friends. You're treating one another exactly as you would every other opposite sex relationship that you have. And so you can move in and out of ministry circles, be in the same small group at church. It's all healthy. It's all above board. When you get into a friend relationship, you maybe start out as friends, but then one person maybe starts developing romantic feelings for the other person. And then it becomes kind of like, okay is this person seeing me in the same way, but you don't have anything defined. So there's not like a common ground there. Mm. And so I always describe it uh, like this, Bill, like, you know, Ashley and Ben are friends, but then Ashley starts like liking Ben. So she kind of starts biting her time and being like, okay, Well, I want to, I want him to wake up one day and realize what's right in front of him. And it's me and I'm amazing. And So (laughs) what am I going to do? I'm going to spend all my time with him. I'm going to become his emotional confidant. I'm going to, I mean, I have built, I have seen women actually like, help guys decorate their apartments, do their laundry, bake them cookies. I mean, kind of trying to build this sense of connection that is beyond what has been defined in the relationship. Okay, so and and this is where I say one of the tenets I always give to young adult singles is the level of connection in your relationship should never exceed the level of commitment. Mm-hmm. So this this guy is a brother in Christ, and that is it until that ring is on the finger, okay? And so, but what's happening is then one day, you know, Ashley has given up all this emotional capital to Ben, all of her time, all this energy, and she's hoping, hoping, hoping that it'll turn into something more. And Ben comes up to her one day and he says, hey, what do you think about Rachel? She's like, who's Rachel? And he's like, well, that new girl in our small group, because I'm thinking of asking her out. Okay, now Ashley has two choices. She is either going to punch him in the face or she is going to go home and eat a pint of Ben and Jerry's and weep uncontrollably because she's discovered that she's in a friend relationship. She settled for something with no commitment, with no expectation, in the hopes that it would become more. And that's why I always say there's got to be boundaries in relationships where it's established. What are the expectations here? Where is this going? What are we doing? And uh, you can't assume. I have a friend, Bill, who actually was in one of these for seven years. Wow. Most of her 20s, she pined for a guy who never had the intention of asking her out, and she gave up a lot of her heart to him. And when she sat down with him one night, she was so convicted by the Holy Spirit that this had become idolatrous. She actually sat down with him in a coffee shop, broke up with him from a non-relationship of seven years, and it was like a divorce, and it took her years to recover from, and there went all of her 20s when no other guy was asking her out because she thought, or they thought that she was dating this guy, you know? So it's just, it's it's messy, and it's just, it's hard on hearts.
0: I'm just wondering, what what about in terms of the local church, just in general at least? Are there pros, uh, advantages to being involved in a local church in this context of, of uh, relationships?
1: Oh, absolutely. I, I think the local church is really what what is allow what will allow us to make healthy marriages possible. I mean, we have got to have those people with eyes on us. I even use that that example or that argument with Boundless with my listeners and readers because they'll say, Oh, Lisa, I listen to the podcast every week. It's so amazing. And they're treating us like a church. Mm -hmm. And I say, no, we are not your church. We are here to come alongside you to be a community of like-minded folks who are walking out faith. But you need to get into a local body of believers who have eyes on you who can follow you, where you can serve, you can plug in, you can be accountable to these people. We want to be a support to the church, but we're not going to be the church. And so that whole idea of growing up and maturing in one's faith and in life and then looking around and seeing who else is doing the same thing because they could be a potential mate and not to not to diss the whole idea of online dating. I think it's a tool. I think in today's transient society... It's necessary for many people who are moving across the country from job to job, but always there needs to be, if it's going to become a relationship, you've got to take it into real time and real space. Otherwise, you've just got a pen pal. And so bring those trusted mentors and friends alongside you as you navigate that space and uh And show up, show up in the church, plug in, serve, you dig in. Don't just treat a a church as a meat market to look for potential singles or whatever. You be faithful and God will be faithful to you. And if he has someone for you, he's going to make it happen.
0: You've been listening to His People on Pilgrim Radio. Many thanks to our guest, Lisa Anderson, Director of Young Adults for Focus on the Family and Manager of their Boundless Ministry. For more information, go to boundless.org. Coming up on tomorrow's program is Moses Estevez on Child Evangelism Fellowship's ministry of bringing the gospel to children worldwide. So it's been a great journey, and most of all, because we get to uh, bring the gospel to children around the corner, around the world, and, and there's no greater joy. I mean, if you sit down with a child and you lead a child to Christ, to faith in Christ, your life will never be the same. That's tomorrow at the same time right here on His People.